1: Welcome to episode six of ADHD Chatter. I wanted to try something a little bit differently this week. I wanted to just read out a message that I had from one of the listeners. Um, I've had so many messages and um, I appreciate all of them and it does remind me why I'm doing the podcast. Um, So this is one I had. It says, I just want to say such a big thank you. This podcast has already helped me so much, more than I can explain. I've always felt a bit different and I was always the loud girl in the group. But deep down, the anxiety was overwhelming. I think I, it was masked for so long with a jam packed, busy social life and schedule. And honestly, it wasn't until COVID hit in the last couple of years where something clicked in me and I started noticing all the signs and linking it back to my childhood. So I, for a while, suspected I have ADHD, but I feel some people think it's just a trend. But this podcast has already made me feel so much more validated and understood. So anyway, just a huge, huge thank you. The relief of being understood brought me to tears. That's it. So yeah, thank you. I mean, it's messages like that which really motivate me to to do this podcast. If you do want to ask me anything um, or or let me know anything, you can message me on Instagram or TikTok. If you just search for ADHD chatter, um, then you'll find my accounts and you can message me on there. Okay, let's carry on as normal. This week, I speak to a remarkable man called Jay Grange. Jay's early years were turbulent. But after his ADHD diagnosis, he found music, and he's since been featured on the BBC, Channel 5, and GB News. His diagnosis also set him on a path to become a neurodiversity advocate. He's spoken on stages all over the world, including for the United Nations, he's an ambassador for the ADHD Foundation and the Prince's Trust, and he's only 21 years old. His knowledge is unbelievable. I learned so much from Jay. His story is full of twists and turns. It truly is fascinating. I'll let the episode speak for itself. Here we go. Hello, Jay. This, this episode is, is one I've been particularly excited about because I think your, your journey is is one that's kind of gone full circle, reading about your the stuff that's happened in the past and what you're doing now. It's a story that fascinated me. And I think that it's going to be one that the audience will find hugely inspiring. So thank you for coming on.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Alex. I'm looking forward to this podcast series of yours, ADHD Chatter. It's great to be on, you know, to tell my story a bit about my journey, you know, the place I was in to where I am now. And yeah, I'm so excited for it. Like yourself, I've been excited for the last week, you know, planning this, thinking what I'm going to answer to questions and I'm really excited. So yeah, I think we should just get on with this because this is amazing.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so many places in in your story I could start, but I think the, the one question that I'm keen to ask everyone is, Based on your understanding and knowledge of ADHD now, what do you think your earliest memory of displaying traits was?
0: I'd say probably the earliest stage was the earliest memory of, you know, realizing maybe I've got ADHD and some of my traits was probably when I was in year seven and just going into secondary school. Uh, Primary school was always brilliant. I was actually top of the class uh, with this other kid called Luke. And me and him were actually ahead of everybody else. We actually had our own class. So it was just me and him ahead of the whole year group in a class doing the work because we just excelled so quickly. Uh, but that felt different in a good way. And actually, you know, that was a good isolation, as it were. Uh, you know, the ones that I then went on to have not so good and the situations that I had not so good as well. But I would say, yeah, year six, you know, year one to year six, primary school, amazing, you know, never any problems at home, in school, feeling different, anything like that. Then it got to year seven, going to secondary school, and that's when the problems started to happen, and that's when I felt misunderstood, felt like I could have traits of ADHD, and felt like there was just something different about me. You know, I saw everybody else in the playground, everybody else in the classroom, and they just all seemed different to me, every single one of them, and I just felt like why am i different so i I started to sort of notice something because i thought there must be a reason for this you know why am i different why do i feel different so it was sort of that process of actually seeing how it goes and actually is this something that's really going to cause me problems or is this maybe just me you know settling into secondary school because it's not easy, is it, you know, for a lot of people. So maybe it isn't to do with something like ADHD, maybe it's just well I was finding it hard to fit in and to get into that new, you know, secondary school, more people, different areas, different ages. But yeah, as it went on and went on, you know, so the start of year seven towards the end of year seven, there's a huge, you know, change in sort of my behaviour and actually my mental health and everything and just something didn't feel right and it was the same through year seven year eight year nine at uh, my first school i went to and then it got to a point where i was having so much trouble with school i was feeling misunderstood by everybody that actually i got permanently kicked out of this school and moved to another area now when i moved to the other area we thought maybe this would be a fresh start maybe this is a change you know i won't feel misunderstood i won't feel different but actually i felt even more different you know coming from london moving an area and um, changes not the best for everybody but especially you know neurodivergent people so this was tough for me and at this point is really when I started noticing more and more that yeah I think I've got ADHD I definitely have and in the meantime of this you know my parents had already sort of started to look for diagnoses and stuff like that just in case it got further and got worse I was on the NHS waiting list for about five years and then we eventually went private when I was in year 11 my last Mm. year of school so you know you can imagine I went through that whole time at school no diagnosis not understanding myself but in answer to your question you know I've explained a lot there a bit more about my story as well but it was definitely from year seven onwards especially Mm. year eight and year nine that I started feeling like actually yeah I reckon I've got ADHD or there is definitely something different it's not just me you know struggling to adapt to secondary school or anything like that
1: that's really fascinating and thanks for thanks for being so open and honest about it i I read in one of your online bios it said you felt anger, frustration, despair, and the constant feeling of being misunderstood and you've you've summarized that nicely as well in in your history just then i mean it is a real struggle i think for for children if they think that they're different to the other kids in the class for whatever reason I think back from my own kind of childhood i mean I think ADHD manifests itself in in Different ways for different people, and I I was always quite I I was quite isolated myself. I was never really a problem child, but I do remember feeling like intense feelings in response to rejection, and that's probably my sort of earliest memory of experiencing ADHD traits. So you didn't get support initially from the teachers, but when you moved to your new school, did, you said they they started to recognise traits then
0: yeah i mean i did not get any support at all to be totally honest with you alex um in my first school and my second school but especially actually the second school because they actually said to me you could have adhd you could have autism but they never wanted to support me where actually the scars that before they just they didn't have a clue to be totally honest with you it never even entered their minds you know at my first school i was seeing senkos and they were saying to me you're either mad or you're bad and you jay you are just a bad kid my second school that i went to i expected you know support because i thought surely it can't be as bad as the first school i went to and actually surely not every school is like this and isn't you know maybe someone will eventually understand me so i went to my new school and like i said to you at the start here they actually said you could have adhd or autism or dyslexia you know a neurodivergent condition nothing no support whatsoever in fact you know they they tried to do things like toilet passes which in fact made me feel even more different to everybody else you know mm. because if I'm going to constantly keep asking to go to the toilet then other kids in my class already to think why does this kid always need to go to the toilet you know none of us do um and it was just every time I got in trouble you know I tried to reason with them about my ADHD and say look I'm not I don't mean to be like this I don't get up in the morning and think I'm going to go to school today and I'm going to muck around it's just things, you know, maybe it's because of the frustration I'm feeling, because of the anger I'm feeling, and maybe my behavior is communication. And I'm trying to say to you, look, I want to be helped and I want to behave in the right way in education to get a good education. So yeah, the second school for me was a really challenging time and that led to anger, depression, despair, all them words and you know feelings that you saw in that article of mine where it takes its toll because when you feel so misunderstood for such a long amount of time, it really does get to you. You know, I was just thinking, why does nobody understand me? Parents, family, teachers, friends, everybody else in the school, not just teachers, you know, canteen staff, midday assistants, cleaners, you name it, I felt misunderstood by everybody. So yeah, it did start taking its toll and I went down a wrong path and down a really negative sort of, journey in my life
1: did you find that when you were acting out and and just feeling frustrated in these schools because you were misunderstood and i suppose there wasn't the awareness um to pick up on the traits and to say oh jay you know he should get assessed for adhd but i guess that happen eventually but when it didn't happen and that that frustration and and then the acting out and being the naughty kid i suppose that must have compounded your frustration to the point where it could quite easily spiral out of control did you find that it was like a compounding effect you were you were frustrated therefore you were acting out and then because you were acting out you were getting more frustrated by the response you were getting which just made you feel more misunderstood
0: yeah i'd say definitely in regards to like you know like naughty behavior and stuff like i'd say that actually you know. it wasn't naughty behaviour on my part. It was more just, you know, I struggling with the education system, like so many neurodivergent people do. And when you see the stats, like seven out of every ten young people to get excluded from school have SEMH or a neurodivergent condition, you can see that this system is not adapted to people like us, you know, the one in five who are neurodivergent. So I wouldn't necessarily say my behaviour was naughty, but what it was was because, like you say because of all the frustration that I felt, all the anger that I felt, that then, you know, kept piling up and then I eventually exploded. And the place to do that was school because that's where I felt the most frustrated. That's where I felt the most misunderstood. And that's where I was having most problems in my life. Mm. So that's why in school, you know, I did get, uh, you know, uh, fixed term exclusions many times. I did get permanently excluded from two schools, nearly three schools because the more it was going on and the more I felt misunderstood, the more you could see that reflecting my behavior. And the more that I was getting, you know, constant detentions, constant exclusions, my anger was getting worse, you know, really bad anger management that I was facing as well. And all the different things. And it all comes back down to that word frustration because frustration then leads to anger.
1: It's, it's a word. Well, it was the two words, frustration and misunderstood that I hear time and time again, it's kind of like the, 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 the one word that the two words that keep cropping up when i speak to people who are perhaps a little bit older or had a later diagnosis or it was the pre the life pre-diagnosis and before the the validation it's the confusion and it's the frustration and it's the the feeling of being misunderstood and i suppose you, you you were quite young when you got your diagnosis, right? You were, how, how old were you when you got your diagnosis?
0: I was 16 when I got 16, my diagnosis. Yeah. So not too young as such, you know, because I still went through the whole school schooling without the diagnosis, without that validation, without the understanding. But mm. still, yeah, compared to other people I know, there's a lot later diagnoses as well. So I'd say I'm in the middle, you know, around 16, year 11, um, just finishing secondary school is when I got my diagnosis. Mm.
1: If you could say something to your sort of younger self, pre-diagnosis, knowing what you know now, what would that be?
0: I wish I'd have embraced myself more um, and actually realised, actually, you've got ADHD, you're a neurodivergent person, but that doesn't define you. You know, it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a lazy person, a naughty person. You know, it doesn't make you not a valid member of society. It's just that you think differently. And I wish I just had to embrace that in school, you know. Actually that thinking differently, you know, could I have reasoned with the teachers? Could I have spoke to the teachers and said, Look, this is my passions, this is what I'm passionate about, I'm a neurodivergent person. Can we do something to work on this? And I wish I had to focus on my strengths because even when I was younger, I used to have a lot of strengths. I still have a lot of strengths, but then I didn't notice them as such. And I wish I had to look back and you know, actually realize that. All the amazing things I was actually doing that got overshadowed by the constant exclusions, by the constant, you know, problems at home with my family. So I'd say to my younger self as well, and I say this to any, you know, young person that's watching this, you know, who's t- for a teen- teenage years, for example, or late, uh, late or early 20s, or, you know, whatever age you are, in fact, embrace your neurodivergence because actually it's a positive and a negative, you know. Too many times we hear about the negatives regarding neurodiversity, ADHD, dyscalculia, dyslexia, etc. But actually there's so many positives, so many positives. The creative thinking, being spontaneous, thinking outside the box. You know, we could be sitting here all day, Alex, if we say all the positive things about being neurodivergent. And I know we're gonna speak a bit more about this later, actually, you know, the positives and the negatives of having ADHD and my experiences. So yeah, I think in summary, to say to my younger self, i would just say embrace who you are, Jay. Embrace that you've got ADHD, don't listen to all them, you know, the negative things that people told me, like most people like you end up in prison. You know, you're you're automatically low and bottom set because you've got ADHD, even though I was predicted eight stars and one mark away from going to a grammar school. So there's so many different areas here that I got told, you know, what well, a lot of neurodivergent people get told all those negative stats or you'll end up in prison, you'll amount to nothing. So yeah, so I wish I and I actually wish I had seen you know what I was going to become, and what I am now back then, because I really would have started doing it more and quicker. You know, learning more about ADHD, learning more about myself, and how actually I could be more of a role model at that stage to actually other people like me that were struggling as well. Mm-hmm.
1: It it sounds like you're similar to a lot of people I speak to of ADHD. You you're when you get that validation and you know you have that understanding. That's that's kind of when you start doing great things you know the amazing work you're doing now we'll we'll go on to that a bit later on but when you get that diagnosis and you and the more you understand about adhd you then believe you begin to see that actually there's nothing wrong with you you're just positioned in a world where there's so many things going against us we're sort of swimming against the tide and when you know that then you can kind of lean into your strengths and put systems in place to to mitigate the pitfalls one thing I wanted to speak about was um, the diagnosis process was was interesting for me. It was, um, I was very fortunate to, to go private and it took about eight weeks, um, but it was an, an intense period of questions that really opened up my past and made me, I've, I've got a history of alcoholic behaviour, a lot of my ADHD traits kind of manifested into drinking too much so it really sort of opened up a can of worms that I kind of had compartmentalized and and put to one side and so for me it was kind of having to re-explore that putting it all out in front of me and asking a psychiatrist to analyze it and and comment on it and so I, if it was quite a brutal process I mean how did you find the the assessment period
0: for me the assessment period wasn't too bad I mean but the pre-assessment period was you know really bad the waiting for many years on waiting lists getting you know pushed from pillar to post that really took its toll on my mental well-being and took a toll on me and my life and i feel that the actual period when i eventually went private you know like yourself you said i did go private which a lot of people if they're fortunate enough to do which actually at the time i wasn't really but me and my dad kept pushing and pushing and pushing we wanted me to get that diagnosis and we was going to do anything in our power to get that so i did eventually go private after many years on the waiting list like i said and that period was i didn't think it was a tense actually because for the first time i felt listened to i felt understood and actually felt like we're getting somewhere you know i've never felt like that before so when i got that diagnosis it was a it wasn't a yes i've got adhd woohoo who sort of thing but it was a oh. Maybe, just maybe this is why I've been misunderstood. This is why, you know, I've gone down the wrong path, done the wrong things, been misunderstood, been, you know, haven't been supported. So it's more like that for me when I got the diagnosis. Actually, yes, this is who I am. But let me just add something, you know, when I got diagnosed and when I got that label, which it really is actually because, you know, it's just almost like a validation, you know, yourself, you know, it's more of that label, which, you know, I think we're too big into labels at society right now. You know, everybody's labeled with something. Uh, You know, I really felt like, I want to learn more about ADHD when I got diagnosed, but when I looked online and I typed in ADHD, I just saw all negative stuff. So for example, I call them the D words, Alex. So ADHD, there's two D words in there, deficit and disorder. Now, I'm a big football fan. I'm a big sports fan. So if my team's losing, we say, you know, we've got a deficit, we're behind. So it's a negative word, deficit. And also disorder. I believe, you know, even disabled disorder, any word that begins with dis is normally negative. There's not too many words you can think of that start with dis that is actually a positive word. So there's all these negative D words around neurodiversity. So even when I was looking after my diagnosis, I thought, actually, yes, maybe having ADHD is a great thing to have. There wasn't much i could find online um so yeah so like i say in answer to your question when i first got diagnosed and when i was going through the process of getting diagnosed i was actually quite relieved i was happy and eventually i felt like somebody was listening supporting me and actually we was getting somewhere
1: yeah i I could i can relate the psychiatrist came back and said my adhd was clear as hell and i think i've i suspected it for a long time um it was only after i saw certain bits of content online that i sort of Tried to go went down the assessment route and it was at, when when she came back and said yeah you're you meet the criteria for a diagnosis then at, for a couple of weeks I was just oh well I knew that so it doesn't change anything but actually as, as further weeks went on I kind of for me I went through stages of it. It, it, it the first stage was well I knew that so nothing changes the second stage was kind of going back and looking at events in my life and Thinking, oh, I can probably pinpoint that outcome to that characteristic or that ADHD trait, and you, and even that segment of the journey, I suppose, comes with some interesting emotions. I found, um, I don't know if you had any frustration at all in in looking back and thinking if if this had been picked up a little bit earlier, maybe. And you've obviously done great things but i think there's there's probably a lot of people who might get diagnosed later in life or and get frustration at the system for not recognizing it earlier and offering them support which could potentially you know be make make a big difference to the trajectory of of outcomes did you ever feel frustration at stage stages after the diagnosis
0: yeah i felt frustration before and after the diagnosis i mean before because like what you're saying there were so many times the i was in positions where i knew it was something and you know it was so obvious but there was never any support there there's never any understanding and i think especially like with what you said about your diagnosis you know your adhd is clear i mean the guy who diagnosed me privately said I can't believe it's taken this long for you to have any support for people to say you've got ADHD. He so, said, you know, without being rude, you have got, it's obvious within seconds you've got ADHD from speaking to you and finding out about your life. So that, yeah, definitely because I feel fouled actually, you know, I do feel fouled. I feel by systems that let's be fair, are there in life that actually benefit a certain type of people. And if you're not in that group, you're most likely to foul unless you get support. Mm-hmm. Um, So I felt, you know, frustrated with everything and angered by everyone and, you know, school, family, parents, people in authority. Just there were so many feelings I had. And I think that I can imagine so many other people, you know, that have neurodivergent people that have had experiences that they think, wow, if I had have had that diagnosis, none of this would have happened. Or maybe I would have had support there. It wouldn't have happened. Or even if I had just been heard, it wouldn't have happened, you know, even without a diagnosis, just if someone was there to support me. So I think, yeah, definitely, I think, you know, having that label, as it were, but having that diagnosis, having that validation does almost, it's a great thing, but also it does almost make it worse afterwards because you think, wow, for so many years I've had this and it's never been understood. It's led me to so many problems that actually if I had have had what I've got now, wouldn't have happened. So Mm -hmm. you almost feel like, you know, (laughs) since I got my diagnosis, I didn't really need it from there because actually... I probably needed it for a few months afterwards because I was doing my GCSEs, I was really going down the wrong path, getting in trouble with police and stuff like that. But actually when I think about now, the last few years and all the amazing stuff I've been doing, I don't really feel, because I'm supported now, you know, I've got a supportive girlfriend, I've got supportive family, I've got supportive people around me. It almost feels like the diagnosis isn't as, what's the right word here? Isn't as important, but you know, it's still good to have that, but actually I don't really need it because I am supported now and actually because society takes me in and you know don't get me wrong there's still days where I'm masking and I feel like wow you know I cannot sort of be in this neurotypical world I feel like if I act the way I normally do people are just going to go what is wrong with him but on the whole I'm supported and actually you know I'm in a good place now and having that diagnosis did help at the time but I think once you get supported anyway it's not as key as it is if you're really struggling you need that diagnosis.
1: Was there a specific moment that led you to get the assessment originally
0: like- yeah I mean there, there what, like you say it was a gradual build up of things but there was you know one or two main things that you know me and my family thought right something's got to be done now it can't continue like this and it was actually when I went to court and I was really going down the wrong path um, and also I was very I was struggling with mental health really badly and I was suicidal too so these were the two main points where actually you know my life was nearly ending because of the suicidal thoughts and actually nearly committing suicide as well but actually going to court where actually even if i hadn't have committed suicide i would have had my freedoms take away i would have been in a place where you know i had actually been told by a few people you will end up there because you're a neurodivergent so they, they were probably two moments in my life where i thought right now something has to be done regardless of what we do to get it something has to be done i need that diagnosis i need validation i need to know i've got adhd because The more things that were building up, the more things that were happening in life, I could tell more and more. So, yeah, Yeah. so it was a really challenging time and it was them two moments that we thought, right, something needs to be done here. Mm. And I think, but again, that's just like life in general, isn't it? When things really, you know, when things hit the fan and it gets really negative, it's almost like that's when people wake up. That's when people realise, you know, the support isn't there beforehand. Everybody waits until... You're in a real crisis if you get what I'm saying. You know, the only people you hear that say, "I never got any support until it was too late."
1: For sure, yeah. I, mean, I think a lot of people suffer in silence. Um, I, I can I can hundred percent relate to that. I mean, yeah, you know, I get hugely anxious about not achieving certain things that I want to do, and it always manifested in drinking for me. That's how I dealt with the 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 anxiety, and it was never really problematic from the outside. It was only when I would text my friends or family and say i'm in the hospital i've gone on a 3 day bender um and it would always be a shock to them it w- it was it was never like oh we 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 thought this might happen you know one day i was just wearing a suit and going to a business meeting talking on stages nothing exterior to show that i was i was sort of struggling underneath um and then cuz i'd never vocalized it and i think that's the same with a lot of people i mean if it's 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 really i find it quite distressing to know that a lot of people suffer in silence and you sort of see it you know you whenever whenever there is a crisis like you said it's it it seems to from the outside world it appears to just come out of out of nowhere what do you think people can do to it's, it's a big question i don't really know what the answer is if, if if you had a a friend who you suspected was really struggling inside it's, it's a tricky one how would you how would you go about offering your your support like you
0: say it's very tricky you know it's one of it because everybody's different Everyone has different struggles and challenges. I like you say because people don't really talk, you know, up about it because maybe of stigmas in society or you know, especially you know, in regards to myself and yourself, you know, being guys, maybe you know, we don't really want to open up about it too much, and because of the, you know, the fear of actually, you know, make us look weak and like we're not, you know, all that nonsense that you know you hear a lot of the time. Um, so I think like it's a very tricky question. It really is, Alex. I'd say just offer your support as much as you can, because I don't think you can ever be in somebody's shoes. You can experience stuff like they have, you know, Uh, but you can't ever, I think it's just offering your support and saying, look, you know, I'm neurodivergent. I can, you know, I've had challenges as well. You know, if you want to reach out and speak to me, please do, because it's very vital that we talk, especially in this day and age where, you know, more and more people are suffering with mental health issues, you know, but there's more and more social media. So there's more and more people we can talk to. There is more support there, but actually it's just, having that, I think a lot of people, especially me, you know, when I was like, I didn't reach out to anybody, you know, there's nobody I've told about my struggles. Obviously people like my parents could see from the constant anger, the stuff I was doing to myself, but actually like you, almost like you say, like people, you didn't know, you know, people just thought at this time, you know, he's just, you know, misbehaving in school, he's struggling. Um, and that was it. People actually didn't really know what was actually going on to the extent that it was going on. So it is a very hard question, but I think it's just all down to offering your support and just having that, you know, offering your shoulder for somebody to lean on and say, look, I will try to support you as much as I can. Because remember, a lot of people don't feel supported. I didn't, you know, when Mm. I was younger, I didn't feel supported by, you know, people in education, by people in authority, even by my parents. So yes, a lot of the people that you'd first go to aren't there to support a lot of people as well. So it's down to actually using your, you know, Platform like say we've got now, but actually at the time as well, just using your experiences to try and relate to people and guide them and try and support them in a tough time. Mm.
1: I didn't actually mean to get onto such a a, a down topic. I suppose of, I mean, I'm was, I was sort of. I mean, if if anyone is listening, I don't really want to get too far into this because I don't think I'm qualified to speak about it. But I will put some links to if you are listening and you are struggling uh, with your ADHD. I will put some links in the in the show notes. Um, which can which can offer some support. Stigma is something I think I've struggled with with ADHD. The stigma around ADHD, and, and in fact, it was it's something that actually stopped me from announcing that I was going to get an assessment straight away. I, I put it. I was. I, I did end up posting it on LinkedIn, saying I'm going to get assessed for ADHD, and, and now I speak a lot about ADHD. ADHD. But originally, my original thought was if I announce it this will potentially negatively affect my professional reputation. Um, and that was only six months ago. And that just shows you how, firstly, how far or how little I knew about it, which is mad because I've lived with it unknowingly for for so long. Um, but I think it just shows you the, the, the strength of how big the stigma is. And when I realized how big the stigma is, that's when I realized that I had to speak out about it um, because I personally don't, relate or identify with much of the stigma at all and i think there are a lot of kids who will be starting their adhd journey or adults starting their adhd research journey and they'll come across content and they'll they'll see a lot of unhelpful inaccurate stuff like i think the gap between the stigma and and the reality of what it's like to live with adhd is is closing and i think there's loads of people now um with adhd speaking out and trying to create a more balanced narrative around what it's really like like you said you know there are plenty of strengths there are plenty of weaknesses i think um a lot of content you see is quite binary it's either you know it's it's super amazing or it's super bad and i think the reality is probably somewhere in the middle um with i mean you mentioned loads of the strengths and that's amazing i think there are loads you know creativity um great problem solvers i i definitely put some of my adhd traits down to me creating co- communities on social media which has led to huge you know personal success um but at the same time i'm aware that they're they sort of come hand in hand with with various weaknesses and as i am as i'm a bit older and more experienced now i know i've put systems in place to mitigate those um what do you think are your and I don't know if it's unhelpful to say, but like, what do you think your strengths and weaknesses are that you attribute to ADHD? And, and I guess it, it'd it be helpful because there are a lot of people with ADHD who listen to people like you and me and other people and they say, I don't relate to any of your strengths or I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm all I'm seeing is the negatives. And there's this, there's potentially this gap forming of people who are really struggling and they're seeing people online talking about it in a way that they're trying to be positive but actually you're just sort of creating this unhealthy comparison and i'm trying to position myself in the middle what do you think is a helpful message to people who have or have think they have adhd really struggling and at the moment they're not experiencing or not identifying with some of the positives that people are shouting about
0: yeah i'd say in regards to your first question you know What are the positives? What are the negatives? Positives, there's loads, especially now. I do believe there's more positives than negatives to me. So like the ones I mentioned before, but the creative thinking, spontaneous, thinking outside the box, you know, hyper-focus, really being engaged in, you know, all these different values I've got, like honesty, integrity. There's so many things that I believe is down, down to my neurodivergence. The negatives... I always say this to people. I think, yes, there is a lot of negatives of having ADHD and um, other neurodivergent conditions. But what I'd say to this is actually, it's because of society more than you. Now, what I'm get, what i trying to say by that is, it's like me, you know, the things that were almost negative to me, like my anger, like my frustration, like my ADHD, you know, me paranoid, it made me overthink, you know, it made me very, you know fidgety and all the different things, you know, lack of concentration. A lot of that I think was actually down to society, not myself. So when I think of the lack of concentration it's because I didn't care one jot about the education system that I was learning, you know, because my mind thinks differently. When I think about the, you know, the struggles I had feeling frustrated, it maybe it wasn't because of ADHD, maybe it's because people in society wasn't understanding it and there wasn't that support there. So I think in regards to me, actually, a lot of those negatives that my ADHD did create, and don't get me wrong, and I said this to you before when we've spoken, it's a negative thing to have a lot of the time. It's not easy having ADHD, you know, it's not all happy days, life isn't amazing, but I do think that life could be a lot better when you've got a support around you, when society is inclusive of you. And in regards to what you said, secondly, if you just don't mind repeating about, um, you know, what is advice to people that are maybe struggling?
1: Yeah, I, it's it's if someone, I mean, firstly, yeah, you're spot on. Like, I don't actually think, I, I agree with you. There aren't any, we're not broken in any way. I think we struggle to function in a world that isn't designed to to accommodate us. Um in certain aspects, and in some aspects, we can thrive, and in other aspects, there's like a clash of how our brain operates and how the world operates, and that can create um, a lot of um, un- unpleasant feelings in, in people. So, if someone is ex- if someone is in a position right now, which I think, judging by the, the narrative I've read, there's quite a few people who who will have ADHD, and they're not going to be they're not identifying right now with the strengths, and they're feeling quite hopeless or they're feeling like they're seeing all these people doing amazing things with adhd and they don't see that in themselves what would you say to those people
0: i'd say you know it's very easy to get distracted and look at you know we see it daily on TikTok, on linkedin we see other people's stories you know we we see other people with adhd stories you know and i think that's just social media in general you know we always see other people and think oh you know their life looks better than mine or i've got a way better life than them do you know what i mean it po- portrays a picture of everybody i think If you're struggling and you can't find any strengths right now of being neurodivergent or having ADHD, because, for example, you're seeing other things online, where actually you've seen this person maybe do this or that person do this, I think realise that, you know, everybody's journey is different. Everybody starts at different places. You know, they might have had more support than you or, you know, there's, there's so many different things here. And, you know, I'm not an expert in that sense, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist where I can actually say, you know, these are the reasons why from that sort of point of view in regards to your adhd and how you're feeling and you know i can't diagnose you myself sort of thing and diagnose those strengths and weaknesses but what i'd say is just focus on you and focus on your strengths even if it doesn't feel like you do have any i think you will come to realization that you do have some so a prime example she won't won't mind me saying one of my mum's friends her son is really struggling in school right now massively getting kicked out constantly he loves cars he adores cars. That is just what he loves. You know, he knows all the different makes. You know, the prices of cars. He loves looking at the interior, the exterior, everything. But he, in, in life, he hates life unless it's about cars. And he didn't think he had any strengths. But then he noticed his strengths because, you know, people say to him, well, I don't know this about cars. You know, how do you know so much at such a young age? So I think again, it comes down to finding your passion, which this is sort of, you know, a different sort of topic to what the original question was from you, Alice, but... I know that we've both found our passions, you know, in regards to, you know, me with my music and my new adversity, public speaking and, you know, wanting to make change to other people like myself and educate corporates and how we could be more inclusive. And I know you have with social media, you know, creating communities, you know, founded Lab Bible, and uh, Unilab. you know, you know then passions probably for a while took us while we was doing them passions special creating those passions or, you know, Probably all the negative thoughts, you know, certainly in my head left because I found my music, because I found my advocacy work. So I think it's about finding something, trying to find a passion and actually ignoring the stereotypes and the negative things that people might say about you. Because, again, it comes back to what I said before. I think a lot of the time people feel like there is no positives of ADHD or being neurodivergent is because of society. And I go back to this because when I think about myself, I think actually if society had been inclusive here, I would have thrived. I would have thrived so i do think my probably my biggest advice to people listening you know listening to this podcast who might feel like there's no positives about being neurodivergent is there is a lot of positives just make sure you've got a support network around you if you haven't try to make sure that people understand you and are more inclusive of you and actually find a passion as well because being neurodivergent we have a lot of creativity in us as we've said before so you've definitely got passions there it's just about finding them and actually not listening to all the negative stigmas and, and things like that. So yeah, Alex, mm. you know, I think people will resonate with actually, you know, people that have been through the same experiences as them. And that's like why sometimes, you know, things like LinkedIn, things like TikTok aren't the best. Because like you said before, they're either this end, amazing, you know, everything's perfect. I'm earning millions of pounds, I'm living life, I've got yachts, you know, my NHD hasn't affected me, you know, that's to the extreme. But then you've got, you know, the other side where, People are almost like how I was, you know, suicidal, going down the wrong path. And that's all you hear. So you almost feel like you can't be in the middle because there's nothing really, you know, out there that's sort of in the middle. And that's why, you know, hearing from us is great today because we've sort of both experienced the positives and the negatives and quite in the middle as
1: such. Mm. That's great advice, Jay. It really is. To, to say, I mean, yeah, ADHD has lots of strength. And if, if you're not experiencing them right now, that's not because you don't have them deep inside you. It's probably because you're just in a a you haven't found your purpose or your passion um which i totally agree, like before I found social media in two thousand and ten I, I was pretty lost i would say you know i wasn't really i wasn't doing anything uh I was working behind a bar had no idea I didn't know anything about a d h d then but i didn't i couldn't put my thoughts in order in order for me to do what I wanted to do. I kind of wanted to go into acting. Also, I thought, like, okay, I've got to get an agent so I've got to start, get, do a headshot. And, but I couldn't put my thoughts in order, in order to do the things I needed to do to achieve the goal that I wanted to do. Um, and now I actually think about it. I think if I zoom out and look at that, I was like, do I really, did I really, really, really want to be an actor? Um, and actually, I, th- I think the answer was probably no. I think it's because I, I, I saw a, a, you know, a, a big film at the time and I, I was had that moment of, I want to do this. But I found social media in 2010 and my, that completely changed my life. Um, and I'm still obsessed with it. And I, I'm still, uh, you know, 13 years later, I still wake up every morning and I, and I build communities on social media. I think it's because it kind of gives me that dopamine loop. I, can, I post something online and it it um, I get immediate feedback. Whereas things that have like a delayed gratification, I often lose interest in. And I guess, I don't know, do you find that's the same with your music?
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd say the same to be honest with my music. It's almost, to be fair, I had a lot of passions when I was younger. So for example, acting, it's actually resonated with me when you said that because I used to get told by teachers, by everybody, you're a born actor. Um, I used to really enjoy it and actually you know I loved it and I actually wish even now you know I might start in the future who knows you know looking at maybe a career seeing what I can get involved in I am quite passionate about that area I was also really into athletics as well you know second best in uh, Wolfen Forest and East London at uh, 800 metres I always used to represent the borough I used to win all the sports days you know I probably could have been an athlete for GB right now I was getting really good times but because I went down the wrong path started doing the wrong things. I totally, you know, ended that career, lost my stamina when I was running, stopped training, you know, just hated that. Mm. So I think, yeah, definitely I agree. I mean, I think as well, you know, I used to find loads of passions and then it sort of just burnt out and then I found this and then it burnt out. And that's why I really, when my music come along, it's something I've still stuck with even to today. And actually the advocacy work even more so, and the public speaking, you know, when I first started doing it, people saying how good I was, how I could relate to young people, how I could relate to neurodivergent people. Mm. I wanted to just do it more and more. So now, you know, I've never looked back on my, you know, public mm. speaking and my music. This is what I want to do for life now, you know, obviously keep progressing it, maybe start my own business and stuff like that to do with it. But yeah, I get what you're saying, how, you know, when it comes to, I think being neurodivergent sometimes it can make you quite impatient, can't it? And, uh, you know, that's why you see some neurodivergent people, you know, switch jobs a lot of the time, you know, bored quickly and go from one job to another. Uh, but it's not because we're disloyal or we, we're not passionate about what we do. It's maybe just because we want new scenery, we want a new change, for example.
1: Yeah, I can see that 100%. I've, funnily enough, the jobs I've sort of stuck at in the past where I've are the ones that I've had a boss, like when I did the bar work or I did the hotel work previously. They're kind of the only things I not had, ha, didn't did not give up on when, when they got bored. And so I'm just going off on a tangent slightly, but I think that's because there's an element of, I don't know if you're the same, a people pleasing element within us or certainly within me or I'm motivated by doing other people's tasks or making someone else happy whereas if I'm left to my own devices I've really got to be intrinsically into what I'm doing otherwise I'm going to go through that famous sort of boom and bust cycle where I'm 100% in and then a week later I've got no interest in it have you, have you ever had like jobs where you're an employee, I suppose, working behind a bar or doing something where you're kind of accountable to someone else and, and that's kind of allowed you to stick at it?
0: I would actually say I'm the total opposite, Alex, um, to what you just said. Like the complete role reversal. I feel when I work by myself, that's where I'm, I'm at my best. That's why now I'm self-employed. You know, I don't work for anybody. I do all my stuff. And the times that I have done work for other people i just detest it you know i I like being my own boss as it were i like you know not having that person tell me what to do you need to you know i want to be in control of what i do so actually it's the total opposite to you there um i get where you're coming from though i mean there is certain state where you know but i think it's more just in general life like when it's maybe like family or my girlfriend or somebody that you know tells me to do something, but, you know, it's for my benefits, for a positive. I don't mind that when actually, you know, sometimes if I'm left alone to own advice, I won't get things done as such. But I think in regards to the workplace, stuff like that, no, I 100% love working for myself and actually having to, you know, listen to other people, you know, sorry, if there's anyone who wants to employ me right now, I promise I am good. Uh, You know, I'm not hard work. Um, But yeah, no, I do prefer, you know, working for myself.
1: Earlier, you mentioned, um, you mentioned masking and that's, it wasn't something I was, had in my sort of notes to to bring up but you you mentioned it and if if you're happy to to talk about it briefly because i've a one hundred percent masked i suppose consistently throughout my life i mean I'm probably masking a bit now subconsciously I'm kind of just so on autopilot with it M- me when I'm not facing someone or presenting talking to someone is very different to me and i know probably a lot of people will can, can say that um us as humans just have a a natural want to appear good in front of other people so we do like put our best foot forward in that but i think with with me and i imagine with quite a lot of other people with it it's quite significant the difference um and my my girlfriend for example she she sees my behavior when it's just me and her in the flat and and she's kind of used to it i mean it's not like anything too bizarre but it's you wouldn't know the difference between like professional Alex who goes to meetings and meets people and shakes people's hands and looks people in the eye very different to what like my girlfriend says in the flat where I'm jumping all over the sofa or or being ridiculous with my dog and again these are things that I think a lot of people do but for me it's it's such a relief to sometimes come into my flat close the door and know the curtains are shut and I can just Oh, that's that's having to deal with the world done for today. Um, is your firstly do you do you think you you mask from like occasionally? And how extreme is like Jay public facing to Jay on his own or with people that he he's close to and trusts?
0: I, to be fair, I mean <laughs> when I do some of the stuff. Um, <clears throat> You know i'm totally different professional jay and jay at home is you know totally different but girlfriend say that my parents can you know see even little things like if there's a football game on, i hear the chants in the background you know just start chanting them you know just just certain little things like that that i never do you know in in public you know i wouldn't just start randomly singing or something like that uh, but i think you know i mask a lot not as much now when i was young, i used to mask a lot as much as i could actually um, and I feel like the times that I didn't mask because actually it got so, you know, tiring and got so actually like, this isn't me. That was when I did get in trouble because I just let it, you know, slip uh, and, peop- and that's where I didn't get on in society. I think now I don't mask as much as I used to. I still mask quite a lot. There's even situations, you know, when I go to like meetings and it was like I did a talk the other day for a local authority for, you know, and... The guy there was very much, you know, as soon as I got there, he was like, Oh, how are you? How's your journey been? You know, uh, and really like asking me questions, so many different questions, and really like looking at me in the eye, like, you know, really quite intensely. And, you know, I almost felt like I have, you know, I can't really be myself, I can't look away. So I almost had to be like, y- You know, I changed. Uh, but I think in general, I do change quite a lot if it's around maybe new people, I don't know, or even, you know, if I'm out having a bit of fun, sometimes I actually have to think, you know, because you know, when you're out, you have a bit of fun, if you actually well, maybe I've been having a bit too much fun here. Maybe, you know, people might start judging me and think, oh, you know, wow, like, you know, I don't really like the way he is. Um But again, I think this comes down to having support with people around us. It's just like what you're saying with your girlfriend. You know, you can just shut the door and be like, you know, I don't need to mask anymore. You know, my girlfriend knows who I am really and, you know, and embraces that and it's not a problem. So I think, you know, with people like around me, like my family, my, you know, relationship, my cousin, whoever it may be, they understand me, I don't need to mask around them. You know, and if I do mask around them, they'd, they'd probably notice and say, what's up? You know and i And, and they say, no, you don't need to do that. You know, we we appreciate who you are. So I think masking is big. I think as well, masking is different for other types of people, Um, maybe even when it comes to like, you know, women with ADHD, for example, you know, and different types of groups in regards to the neurodiversity space. Actually, maybe they need to mask more because of like, you know, societal norms and how people are supposed to act and stuff like that. I think definitely masking is a big thing and actually a thing that should be spoken about more in regards to neurodiversity because you almost have to mask yourself to be in that neurotypical world, to be in that world that actually was actually designed for neurotypical people. Actually, when you are in your sort of, you know, your neurodivergent ways, you feel really left out and actually like this world wasn't made for me. So I think masking yeah is very important and people should try and mask as as less as possible, you know. Um, because, again, if you have support of people around you, you won't need to. But in society, I mm. think, you know, I'll say this to people maybe aren't neurodivergent here, you know, just embrace us and embrace... We do have little quirks, we do have little differences, but actually, that just makes us who we are.
1: Yeah, no, spot on. It's, that's that's great to hear, and I, I agree with it all. Oh, I think with... with um, I think eye, eye contact is probably my most obvious to me form of masking. Like I, I try and maintain eye contact... Or i have done in the past and there's a direct correlation between the amount of eye contact i give someone and the amount i'm going to remember of what they're <laughs> saying um I, you know i could shake someone's hand and they can say hi my name's chloe or my name's bill and if i'm if i'm making eye contact then which is what you're supposed to do apparently then i'm not going to remember their name and i'm not going to remember pretty much anything they say whereas it, i've started to do it more now i've I'm i'm not so hard on myself if i'm breaking eye contact or i'm looking around the room a bit when someone's talking to me and i've noticed there's been a massive uptick in in the the details that i'm remembering um and time blindness as well and like, that's a big topic just on its own but if i'm like a lot of people do you can go into a room with a with an objective and to get a glass of water and you can forget what you're going in for i i always keep my eye on on the subject that i'm going in that room for and I've been doing that a lot more lately. And that could possibly look a bit unusual to like an outsider who's thinking, Alex, your, your eye movement's a bit weird there. But that's something that I've, which is probably subconsciously a form of masking before I've confidently walked into a room thinking that I'm gonna remember what I'm going in there for. And, and most of the time I do, but you know, actually quite often I don't. But now when I keep my eye on the reason why I'm going in the room, i my my time blindness symptoms get much much better which is really good um do you i I want to get to the work you're doing now because it's it's really inspiring i think that's that's it really brings the story to a nice end with with what's happened in your past to where you the amazing things you're doing now but just just before we get to that point i want to quickly talk about imposter syndrome because you're doing a lot of work on stages now and and i I've, I've done similar and i'm getting better at imposter syndrome i think i'm wondering when you're on those stages and when you're talking at these big companies and at these big global events do you ever think they've put the wrong person or what am i doing here
0: occasionally um, but I know I'm quite talented from what I've been told. I know that I'm great at what I do um and I know that I was born to do that um and I'm very passionate about the topic as well. So say you asked me to go and talk on stage about something I had no interest in or no knowledge on, then yes I'd be thinking what the hell am I doing here um but I don't really to be obviously sometimes it's like i did a I did a conference last year and there was about one thousand three hundred people at the Bournemouth International Center. And I walked out onto up onto the stage and, you know, there's a lower tier, there's an upper tier. And I thought, wow, you know, people say to me, like, how do you do this? And what it is with me, Alex, is actually if some, if, like, say a company asks me to come in their office and there's like 20, 30 people there, I'm quite intimidated. It's quite daunting for me. But actually, the bigger a stage is, the more people that are watching, the bigger the event. I'm actually better at, not not as nervous. And I thrive in it more. So, I mean, sometimes imposter syndrome, yeah, I think, but again, I think that's maybe a lack of confidence thing due to some experiences I had, you know, people not understanding me sort of thing. actually, wow, you know, this kid who got excluded from two schools and this kid who nearly went to prison and this kid who was drugged it, and all stuff like that is actually now on stages, speaking to big corporate, speaking to, you know, people in senior, senior positions that I can never imagine being in touch with yeah you know it does hit you sometimes but actually it's something you should be proud of and you know like in regards to yourself and what you've done TEDx talks and huge talks you know and what you've created with LabBio I think actually you shouldn't have that impression because you should know the talent you've got and actually you've created that and that is you you know that's not nobody else um so yeah and one other thing you know why we're on like imposter syndrome and stuff like that is you know procrastination um which you know again it's a whole other topic, but. For me, I procrastinate a lot because of my ADHD. So, even if it's like getting, say, I know I've got to get a train at, say, five past ten, and it takes me 15 minutes to get, you know, <laughs> to the train station, it might get to like 10 minutes before, and I haven't even put my shoes on yet, you know, I haven't booked the train ticket, whatever, and I'm thinking, oh, no. You know, so I do procrastinate a lot. Um, that was just one thing I wanted to get in this mm. um, because I know a lot of people recently that have mentioned that to me when I've done talks about procrastination and link with neurodiversity there. Uh, so yeah but in regards to what you said about imposter syndrome you know I'm proud of what I do Um, and I think you know I'm there because of me and because of the talents I've got but sometimes it is you know quite not hard to you know it's hard to believe when I do see myself in front of so many people think compared to where I was compared to now you know it's quite amazing to see
1: definitely and I think you're right the bigger the stage is we're going to get that sort of normal pre-talk jitters um but you're probably the same as soon as you get that first word out then you do feel like you should be there and you get that applause at the end and you do get that feeling of oh no they did put the right person it's for me the the build-up to the actual event is I still sometimes get that when I when an email comes in and, and you know do you want to do this or that and and I have to double check the email address is right and I yeah it's it's it is. it is weird and i've heard there's it's quite a sometimes common thing but i guess it's just normal i mean but every every time i do a talk and then it you, you get the round of applause and then you you get that validation and you kind of feel like oh no they did put the right person um especially when you get to meet the audience afterwards and they ask you loads of questions and you know the answers and you can see the the facial expressions when you can see the the, they're accepting and you're you're delivering the value for them speaking of all the, the stage work and um, doing amazing things you're you're an ambassador for the ADHD foundation can you tell us a little bit about that
0: yeah I'm an ambassador for the ADHD foundation um, you know a great neurodiversity charity that are out there um, I'm an ambassador for Prince's Trust as well you know I'm sure everyone here has heard an ambassador for UK youth as well and I just like doing charity work on the side as well as what I do. You know, I think, you know, UKU, for example, they do a lot for youth and they work with a lot of people from dis- disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, Prince's Trust, you know, we all know what they do and the great work they do. And, you know, I'm an ambassador for them. and done some talks to them before and try and spread the neurodiversity message in regards to the Prince's Trust. Um, and the ADHD Foundation, yeah, I've been the, I'm an ambassador for them for the longest amount of time. Um, for about two and a half years now, they're great. they really... You know do a lot in the adhd space but also neurodiversity in general you know by going into schools and they do tests you know clinical tests and, that, and all different things and they're, they're amazing um so yeah i do a lot of advocacy work uh, ambassador work for people as well uh, and talks for you know corporates and charities as well and local authorities and schools and pupil referral units and yeah, I love what I do and I love trying to, you know, make tell my lived experience, you know, using my lived ex- experience to create a better living experience for other people. Uh, but actually telling people how we could be more neuroinclusive. So, you know, how we could be more neuroinclusive to those one in five. So, you know, what I'd say to Corpus, for example, you know, what can we do to be more neuroinclusive in the workplace? You know, what would people like me, people like you, many of us benefit from? You know? Stuff like Job, even starting from job applications to in the workplace, to, you know, flexible hours, you know, noise cancelling headphones for autistic people, for example. You know, there's so many different things I talk about. And yeah, I think there's a real appetite at the moment. And you've probably noticed this for lived experience talks, you know, not from, you know, say experts. And I do this because, you know, I'm not being offensive. I'm not saying that's not valid. But actually, a lot of people now are listening more to people with lived experience like us than actually... Maybe people that have read up a lot about neurodiversity, and maybe you know own their own company, that have just you know completed masters and had all degrees and stuff. Um, so yeah, there's a big appetite right now for this, Alex. And you know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. My career's growing. You know, I'm still a young age. You know, 21, turning 22. So you know, still young, a baby basically.
1: <laughs> it's truly inspiring, Jay, and and considering your age as well, I think you've you're you've probably jammed so much into your life already. That a lot of people who are older will look back with huge admiration. I think you've you've done and you're still doing amazing work. And what do you what do you see for the future? It's a big question, I know, but like if what's Jay doing in ten years? Do you think
0: just gr- I mean even in ten years, in two years, in five years, just growing, growing, growing. You know, having more ambition, doing loads of things. You know, obviously I'm still at a young age. I don't believe anybody really knows thoroughly what they're gonna do. Uh, until their at least late 20s you know early 30s society a lot of the time you know tries to force people into knowing what they want to do you know as soon as they leave school I don't think that's valid at all and I don't think that's possible so of course you know I'm going to keep up the speaking um, about my lived experience but also about how we can be more inclusive I'm looking to start my own businesses in regards to consultancy and stuff like that um, and it's just so and hopefully you know my music career will you know carry on releasing songs you know I don't i'm not gonna say i want to sit here and be a chart topping artist and you know get in the billboards and stuff like that but just keep doing it releasing music that will inspire people you know and yeah i don't really set a limit on what I, you know people always ask me what are you going to do in five years what are you going to do in ten years i i don't know you know it will whatever life whatever journey life takes me on i'll be there you know whatever opportunities i create for myself or other opportunities that are given to me i will follow them so yeah Great things. That's all. That's all I know. Great things, powerful Mm. things, or things that will make an impact.
1: That's amazing, and I think it it was just going back to the what you're going to do in ten years. I I don't know if that was a helpful question to ask because it was. I spoke to someone the other day, and his his main advice was kind of to avoid burnout was to not give yourself huge future goals. Make goals, but then really try and like break them apart on a day by day basis, and just just achieve little things day by day. Um, and I thought that was really profound advice. Um, I agree. But yeah, Jay, I think we'll probably leave it there. It's been so much fun. And I think the listeners are going to get a huge amount of value um, out, of, out of your story. I've only, I haven't met you, but I've, I've met you once on the internet. And now we're, we're chatting today and um, I'm blown away by your story. It's really, really fascinating where you've come from, what you've what you've been through. What, you, what you've what you done and what you're doing now to raise awareness and, and to be a real voice for change and an advocate, especially with the stuff around um, neuro-inclusivity in business. So thank you for coming on today. And I am genuinely excited about seeing what the future holds. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, thank you, Alex. Thanks for the invite. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing this series and all the other amazing guests you get as well. And your story is great as well and what you've done with Lab Bible and what you're doing now as well, you know, in regards to the neurodiversity space is amazing so yeah this has been an absolute privilege a pleasure and i hope everybody enjoyed and please connect with me on linkedin and my website and stuff like that but yeah thanks everybody and thanks alex for the invite
1: i'll put all of the links to all of your or well, everything you're doing all of the charities you're doing all of your work everything in the show notes so they will be easily accessible to everyone um jay thank you so much cheers alex